Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 24. There we find God's word summarized as follows. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 33 to stanzas 1 and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, also the young ones. This afternoon, we once again have a baby in front of us. His parents brought him here to church. That's not something that little Grady could do for himself, for little babies are totally helpless. They cannot walk or talk or do anything on their own except to cry. Grady relies on his mother for everything. He depends on her for food, for clothing, for shelter and warmth and love, for protection and for keeping him clean, changing his diaper whenever he has soiled himself. He relies on his mother for every little thing. Little Grady can do nothing on his own. His mother has to take care of every aspect of his life. Why would a mother do that? Well, the answer is obvious. She does that because this is her child. And there is an incredible bond between a mother and her child. Her life and his life are totally wrapped up in each other. When the baby is this small, the mother's main occupation in life is to look after the baby. Whatever else goes on in her life is of secondary importance. She is totally focused on meeting the needs of her child. And that is because of the relationship that she has with him. That child is her flesh and blood. The mother loves that child. She loves him not because of anything that he has done, for little Grady hasn't done anything yet, good or bad. She loves him because he belongs to her and he needs her. Congregation, that's also the way it is with us and the Lord our God. There is also an incredible bond between our Father in heaven and us. And that relationship has been established only because of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For at one time, our relationship with God was broken. We broke it when we sinned against him. But the Lord Jesus Christ made everything well again between God and us. He restored us to a relationship of favor with our Father in heaven. And it is only because of him. The Lord Jesus restored us to that relationship of love that we had with God the Father when we were still in paradise. Right after he created us. Right after he gave birth to us. And it's all his doing. We have nothing to do with it. And we are totally dependent on our Father in heaven. But if there is one thing that is hard for us to accept, it is that fact. Especially for the fact that we cannot add anything to our own well-being, to our own salvation. We are just like that little baby in front of us here, totally dependent on God for everything. That's what the Catechism wants us to think about this afternoon as we deal with Lord's Day 24. The theme is as follows. Everything is well again between God and us. And then we will see two things. We will see in the first place that we do not have to do anything for it. And in the second place that we do have to do something with it. As Grady grows up, he will grow more and more independent. Soon he will want to feed himself. He will make a mess, but he will insist. More and more he will do things on his own. He will learn to talk and to walk and to dress himself and to keep himself busy. Slowly but surely he will grow to be more and more self-sufficient. And that's good. Children have to learn how to do things for themselves to be independent. But you cannot carry independence too far. And Grady will have to learn that he cannot live without others. God has created us such that we need one another. God has created us in relationships. And therefore we also seek one another out for companionship, for advice, for a sense of well-being and connectedness. And we can especially not live without God. For the reality is that we are totally dependent on Him, even as adults. And that is most certainly the case as it concerns our salvation. Our Lord Jesus Christ did it all for us. He lived, worked, suffered and died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven for us. Philippians 2 describes for us in a most beautiful and poetic way what exactly he gave up in order for him to be able to do that. Although he was God, full of majesty and truth and strength, he gave it all up and made himself nothing, it says there. In the original it actually says that he emptied himself. Of what? Of all the glory that he had with his Father in heaven. He did it all for us. Why? So that he could share his great riches with us. For the Father once again exalted him to his rightful place at his right hand. 
He gave back to his son the glory and majesty that he had before. He gave him back all his power and omniscience and his absolute rule over everything. But now there is a difference from before he came down to earth, from from before he came down to earth to when he now is seated at the right hand of God. For now he can share with us. Because he shares his flesh and blood with us. He has that now with him in heaven. And therefore the only way that he could accomplish that would be by doing what he did. He had to throw everything away first and become like us. Now, all we have to do is to accept in faith what he did for us. We have to accept the fact that we can share in his majesty and glory only because of what he has done and not because of anything that we have done or will do. The Catechism is quite clear on that. It speaks there about our righteousness before God and asks whether or not our good works have anything to do with that. The Catechism shuts the door on such reasoning. We have nothing to offer God, not even the best of our good works. It's actually strange that the Catechism asks this question. We did not do anything in order for us to be created. We did not do anything for our own existence. That's totally God's work. He created Adam and Eve out of nothing, and he formed each and every one of us in the womb of our mothers. We have absolutely nothing to do with our own birth. That's true for little Grady as well. He has not contributed in any way to his own birth. And yet his mother loves him and takes care of him. And that's the way it is with us in regard to our Heavenly Father as well. And that's also the way it is with regard to our rebirth. With the fact that we are now made in the likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ. What the Catechism says here is quite profound. It tells us in effect that if we even try to do anything about it, if we even try to contribute anything, that that then will be totally disastrous. It says you will make it worse. For whatever we do, it has to be perfect, absolutely perfect. And the Catechism reminds us that even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Even when we pray or worship or when we look after every aspect of our children's welfare, we sin even in our most unselfish acts. All our works are defiled with sin. That doesn't mean that they aren't good, not at all, but it does mean that they aren't good enough. And therefore we need God for everything. We have to accept this as a gift from God. But that's where the difficulty comes in. That's extremely hard for us to accept. We have a hard time accepting something for free. Instead of admitting that we receive everything from God free of charge, We say instead to the Lord God, O Lord, have patience with me and I will pay up what I owe you. Just be patient. 
Tomorrow it will be different. Tomorrow I will do better. I will carry out my good intentions. And I promise you, O Lord, that the older I get, the less I will sin. And so we pray to God to have patience with us, for then we will do this and that and everything else. And we make all kinds of promises to Him, and we really mean it. But just like the king in the parable, the Lord God is not going to have any patience with you or with me if we give Him that kind of response. Because it's not true. It's also clear from the parable that we read together. The servant who owed the king an enormous debt begged him to be patient with him, telling him that he would pay everything back. However, that was an impossible thing for him to do. For the debt that this man owed was enormous. Estimates in modern currency as given by the various commentators range from several million dollars to one trillion dollars. For you see, the talent mentioned in this text was the highest known denomination of currency in the ancient Roman Empire. And 10,000 was the highest number for which the Greek language had a particular word. And so, the Lord is telling us by giving us that particular amount that it was such an enormous amount that no one, not even if he were to live a thousand lifetimes, would be able to pay it all back. And yet the servant says to him, Oh, please, your majesty, be patient with me and I will pay it all back. Notice that the king doesn't even respond to that. He doesn't even give it a thought. It's ridiculous. Nonsense. He can't pay it back. The servant begs for mercy and makes a promise that he most certainly will not be able to keep. Obviously, that servant had no idea about the enormous debt that he owed else he would not have made such a promise. It could also be that he was dishonest with himself and fooled himself into thinking that it wasn't such a great amount after all. To him, it wasn't a big deal. Whatever the case, by saying to the king that he would pay everything back, he minimized what he owed. He was in denial. And so what does the king do? To the astonishment of Jesus' original audience, the king pities the man and cancels his debt. He ignores the servant's ignorance and instead has mercy on him and lets him go free. That is quite something, especially considering the kind of world the Lord Jesus lived in. In those days, if you were unable to repay your debts, you and your family had to be sold along with all your assets. The king could have done that in order to receive at least some of the money back. He will obviously recoup nothing anywhere close to the amount owed, but something is better than nothing. Selling people into slavery to pay their debts was extremely common in the ancient world. But not only will the king in this parable not sell his servant into slavery, he will not even require repayment of any kind. And so you see, brothers and sisters, sheer grace is at work here. The same thing is true with us. 
The debt that we owe God, we cannot pay back either. God is perfect and He demands perfection. And therefore, if you want to do something for God, then it has to be perfect. And so let us not even begin to think that we are capable of that. The only thing that we can do is accept God's pity. That's quite a blow to our ego, isn't it? It's hard for us to accept something because someone gives something to us out of pity. We are not happy to receive something for which we did not have to lift a finger. We want to be able to do something in return. That's also the way it is when we receive gifts. When we receive a gift from someone, we have a hard time accepting it if we cannot in one way or the other pay back the favor. We want to give something back. If we can't, we feel bad. It does something to our own sense of self-worth not to be able to give something back. And therefore, we have to be aware of that innate tendency within us that we inherited from our first parents, from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did not want to admit that they are totally dependent on God for everything. They did not want to live out of the gifts that God gave them to enjoy. They wanted more. And they wanted to do something out of their own strength. They wanted to be a little bit like God. And that's impossible. God also gives us gifts. He gives us everything that we need for body and soul. And then some. He especially gives us the wonderful gift of faith. But we also have to receive that as a gift. For there are many people who want now to make faith a work. As something we do. We cannot do anything. Even our faith is something that we cannot give to ourselves or to our children. The Lord God is also going to give that beautiful gift of faith to this little child here in front of us, to Grady. And as he grows up, he has to unwrap that gift and he has to do something with it. He has to learn to see that as something very precious from the Lord. But he has to see it as a gift. He may not take that gift for granted. For you see, there's also the other danger. The danger to minimize the gift. And that's what happened to that first servant in the parable. He took for granted what the king did for him. The fact that he received that gift of being declared guilt-free did not really make an impact on him. And that's also showed from the way that he treated his fellow servant. As soon as he left the king's presence, he had forgotten about that wonderful gift that he had received. For you see, when you receive God's gift of salvation, then you also have to do something with it. We come to the second point. The wicked servant did not understand why the king did what he did. He only looked at the gift and not the giver. That is because his mind was what was on what he could get out of life himself, for himself. 
he did not understand that ultimately it is not about the gift, but it is about the mercy. Only when you understand that, only when you understand that it is all out of grace, then you change your outlook and your attitude, the way you think and the way you act. The enormous gift that that first servant, that wicked servant, had a purpose. It was supposed to change him. The king expected that servant to reflect him in his generosity. He expected him now also to be able to show kindness and love and mercy to others. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants to teach us in that whole passage that we read together. For look at the context of this parable. The Lord Jesus first tells a story about the lost sheep. Those lost sheep apply to each and every one of us. We were lost. We have lost the way. And now the Lord Jesus says to you and to me, I am so glad that I have found you. And he tells the story of the lost sheep and how he goes after him so that we would do the same. He says to us, if you brother sins, look him up. Only once he does not want to be found any longer can you let go of him. But first, you must do your utmost to seek out your brother or your sister. Go the extra mile. For that's also what I have done with you. In this way, the received mercy of God has to bear fruit in our own lives. That's why God gives us these gifts. That's why he seeks after us. And therefore, we too must have mercy on others. Now it is Christmas season. Many of us exchange gifts. But why do we give gifts? Not necessarily out of love. Often out of obligation. And out of the desire also to receive something from those that we have given gifts to. For soon after we have unwrapped our present and we right away think of things we can, we can give back to the other person. Or when we have given the present, we think about how we are going to be rewarded ourselves. I wonder what I'm going to get myself. And we wonder, is that also the way it is with God? Does he expect something in return for the gift of his beloved son? For the fact that he made everything well between him and us? And the answer is no. God doesn't give so that we can give something back to him. And so it is different with him than with people. What then does God expect from us? Well, when he gives us something, then he wants us to share that gift with others. You have to do something, but not in order to give back to him, but you have to share and that's possible, for his gift is big enough. But you have to do something with it. You cannot just sit on it. You have to unwrap God's gift, and then you have to share it with others. And it is in that sense that you and I have to see our obligation. And it is also within that context that the Catechism mentions our good works. It dares to do that even though the Catechism knows what the Roman Catholics did with good works. 
they also said that you have to do something. But they said that you have to do something in order to contribute something to your own salvation. The Catechism, however, makes first clear to us that it is not about something that we have to do, that it is not now our turn to do something because God has done something for us. No, the Catechism tells us first what we have received free of charge. Namely, that everything is well again between God and us for which you and I didn't have to do anything ourselves. It has all been done for us. And now we can talk about the role of good works. Because now you and I realize that whatever God has done for you and for me, we have to do something with it. His gift may not just leave you cold as it did with that wicked servant. It has to make you, in other words, into a changed person. And if you see it that way, then you also realize that a gift of God, that you have to do something with it. For God does not just give you a gift. He does not just give mercy and righteousness and justification and the forgiveness of sins as some abstract concepts. For these words easily roll off our lips, don't they? We easily take these things for granted because we hear those words all the time. We have to realize what the reality of the gift of His dear Son, Jesus Christ, is and how that should impact is. How us and how that should change us from within. For he has done everything for us. In the gospel he seeks us personally. With his life. His suffering. His death. And resurrection. And with his position of honor at the right hand of God the Father. It's all for us. The Lord God does not a does not give us a gift like the man from Purolator who comes to your door and brings you a package and then asks for your signature and who then takes off again. No, he gives us himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a gift that changes our hearts and our lives for always. That is what the Catechism means when it speaks about being grafted into Christ by true faith. Now we are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are alive with Him. Through the Holy Spirit He has made residence within us. We may live with Him. And if that is what we realize, then He is also the one who leads us and guides us as we pray to Him and as we listen to His voice. And now we are changed persons. For we have changed the way we live and think and act. And now we can do things that we could never do before on our own. Brothers and sisters, we are like little babies 
totally dependent on our Father in Heaven for everything. It may not seem like it to you. And therefore many people live as if God does not exist. Little do they know that without Him watching over them they would perish that very moment. And that is why we have to worship Him and honor Him and not pretend that we can do anything for ourselves. We have to accept God's grace. We have to accept a total dependence on Him and see how much He loves us and how much His life is intertwined with us just like a baby with its mother. And if we do that, if we live like that, if we share in that way, then God will embellish us with great riches. With such riches that we cannot even begin to imagine now. How wonderful it is to be a child of God. Amen.